following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. All my life was full of when Jesus found me All my heart was full of misery and woe Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me And he led me in the way I ought to go No one ever cared for me like Jesus, there's no other friend so strong as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. 
This is a week of intense prayer for me. I have been much of the night before the Lord crying out to him. I've been trembling in fear before him. I feel today like I want to just put my hand over my mouth and not say anything. That's hard to do on the radio. I feel that way because I see how easy it is for a man to thrust himself or a woman to thrust herself out into the world and the activities and the and the ideas to do the same thing that Eve did in the Garden of Eden, to reach out for the fruit of the world, to reach out for what my heart wants. I want to be in charge. Oh, God, forgive us. We've come to a place where we must have a change in America. America is dying. Seattle. L.A. Miami. Fort Lauderdale. Chicago. Washington, D.C. Our great cities are filled with filth ungodliness, unholiness, men in power, in suits, thrusting themselves out. And you know the drill, the lying, the cheating, the flesh. It makes me be terrified before God. But I have good news for you today. Jesus prayed for you and for me. The disciples are very upset. Usually they're with Jesus and they're calm and they're walking and they're ministering and they're standing by faith that this is the Messiah and that he's going to bring in the kingdom of God and they even talk and argue amongst themselves about the power positions that they want. In other words, there's still something in their heart that's thrusting them out grabbing for power. Something has to happen in the lives of these disciples that will utterly and totally change them. May I say this to you? Something must happen in your life and in my life that will utterly change us. It's not enough to follow Jesus. It's not enough to be willing to sacrifice for his kingdom. There's a deep part of our soul that must be utterly broken before God. Something that we can't do ourselves. But we can be aware of the desperate need and we can present ourselves before God and ask him to break this stronghold of pride and arrogance before him. To ask him to humble our hearts, to take our pride. And now the disciples are getting ready to go through one of the most traumatic things that could have ever happened to them. So utterly devastating, so utterly breaking of their pride that they will never again be the same men and women. Yes, I'm including women, Mary and Martha, Mary the mother of Jesus. All of them have to go through this utter breaking if they're going to be of any use to the kingdom of God. Now please, the cry of my heart is that I could be of use to God. But a man or woman cannot be any use to God if they're walking in pride. They can be oh so devout and oh so religious and so they can be a bishop, they can be a pastor, they can be a rector, they can be 
somebody. It won't amount to a thing in the kingdom of heaven unless they've been utterly broken of their pride. Their judgments, of their anger, of their bitterness. That's why I come with trembling before you for this radio broadcast saying, Oh God, I wish I could come in the power of the Spirit and minister in such a way that revival would break out in this city. I can't do that. That has to be done by the Holy Spirit. It has to be done by Jesus. So I present myself before him, and I did through the early hours of the morning. I presented myself before him for utter breaking, for for being humbled. In the story of the disciples in chapter 16 of the book of John, some of his disciples in verse 17 said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me. (coughs) This was very disturbing because for three and a half years they had given up their, their companies, their businesses. They'd given up everything, and they had followed Jesus. Dusty roads, Samaritan villages, Jerusalem, where they're threatened to be killed. Hungry, thirsty. Walking the dusty roads of of Israel and of Samaria, of Judea. Now, as they walked, Jesus answered, In a little while you will see me no more because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's saying. You understand, their lives hang on what he's saying. Their future hangs on what he's saying. Did you know this? Your future hangs on what Jesus is saying about you. Your whole future is hanging on what Jesus is saying about you. Do you know what he's saying? Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and after a little while you'll see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take from you your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. You know, he still doesn't tell them clearly in such a manner, but he's speaking more forthrightly now. He goes on, though I've been speaking figuratively, he's been speaking about a vine and the branches and the branches bearing much fruit and the father pruning them, and they don't understand all of this. It troubles their hearts. Troubles my heart, too. I've been living in chapters 15 and 16, 17, all week and all last week. I can't get away from it. My heart's very troubled because I recognize there has to come this time of grieving, a time of breaking. He says, though I've been speaking 
Figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father. I entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. He is speaking now in a very forthright manner. The disciples needed this straight conversation, and they respond, Now you're speaking clearly and without a figure of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. In other words, we don't need to ask Jesus questions. We're to wait upon him, to ask the Father for what we need to sustain our lives while we wait on the Lord. Wow, it's hard to wait on God. He has all the time of eternity. I have a very short time span. My time goes by very quickly, and then I'm gone. But they say this forthright conversation. This makes us believe that you came from God. And Jesus answers, You believe at last? The greatest struggle of a man's heart is to finally believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You say, oh, come on, pastor. I believe it. Oh, it's one thing to say, I believe it, and intellectually to affirm it. But when you base your whole life on Jesus being the Messiah, and you're going to wait for his rhema word, you're going to wait for his direction, you're not going to make any choices or any decisions until you hear clearly from Jesus. Now we're talking about something very, very different. It's much easier for us to set up our idols. So what is an idol? An idol is that which prevents a man from seeking and finding everything for his heart in God. In other words, a man's idol is that from which he seeks his happiness and his comfort of heart. And those idols are very mixed idols. For some, it's wealth. For some, it's pleasure. For some, it's drugs. For some, it's human friendship. For some, it's books and music and CDs and food. Fine houses, beautiful cars, internet, cell phones, movies, sex, work, success, children, family, or any earthly or heavenly thing which prevents a person from seeking and finding his all in our Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else is an idol. you recognize any idols in your heart? Jesus is saying, look, I'm going back to the Father. I'm going back to the Father. He's already told us in chapter 16, if I go back to the Father, I'm going to send the Comforter to you. And through you, they will receive conviction of sin, judgment. You will see amazing things happen. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And we find in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, Jesus said, take everything of trouble and receive it as discipline from the Father. Receive trouble as discipline to train you in righteousness. So as trouble comes upon us, Jesus is saying, turn, turn to the Father. 
and ask him in my name for what you need to survive that trouble. Now, this is the last week of Jesus' life on the earth. This is the Passion Week. And I pray that during this week, you will come to terms with the grief of Jesus' crucifixion. And I pray that you will come to the grief of Jesus' persecution and crucifixion by letting your own heart be crucified by Christ. That you will repent of every place where you have thrust yourself forward and said, if God's not going to do it, I'll do it. I pray that this week will be very significant in your life. There are decisions that you need to make. There are choices you need to make. There is a place of great self-abasement that needs to take place this week. A great humbling of your heart before Almighty God. A repentance that needs to flow from your heart. Even the most righteous... needs to allow the repentance to flow from your heart. There was a time when I said, I've repented. What do I have to repent for? And then God began to show me what I need to repent for. And I was utterly broken before him. We're so cocksure of ourselves, of our plans, of our ideas, of our being able to provide for ourselves, of our our being so smart. I confess before you today, I am aware of my stupidity, of my lack of knowledge of my utter lack of wisdom. And I have asked the Lord if he would give me wisdom. And I have given up putting myself forward as anything I'm not. I'm nothing. Jesus is everything. Now, I love the book of John for the Passion Week. Because of John 14, 15, 16, 17. I love this. This Passion Week before Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane where he is crushed in the prayer closet. I want to tell you, it's time for you and me to be crushed in the prayer closet. And never has that been so powerful as it has been so far this week for me. As the Holy Spirit, as I've gone and sat before him in the prayer closet, knelt before him in the prayer closet, crying out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Speak to your servant. And what he's done is, uncovered my heart and shown me how demanding I am, how full of myself I am. This is what happens when we go in before the Almighty God and we begin to see Jesus on the cross. We begin to see the beauty and the agony and the I don't know how to even describe it. When we begin to see Jesus on that cross and know that he's there for me. Know that it was my sin that put him there. It was my arrogance. It was my pride. It was my bitterness. It was me. I put him there. 
And he begins to humble your heart in that prayer closet. I am so grateful today that there was a resurrection. Oh, without the resurrection, we would have nothing. So today I need to look at the preparation for the crucifixion, but I have to just insert in the midst of what I'm saying the great and wondrous joy and excitement that wells up in my soul because of the resurrection of my Lord Jesus. I stood in that tomb in Jerusalem. I went in. In the morning hours, by myself, there was no one else with me at the time. I was with a small tour group, six or seven of us. And I had the opportunity to go into that tomb alone. I saw where the angels sat. I saw where they prepared the body. I saw where they laid his body in that tomb. And at first there were tears. And then through the tears came this great upwelling. He has risen. He has risen. Jesus is not here. There are no bones. There's no remnant of a, of a dead man. It's all clean. Jesus arose. But I need to come back now to the topic of the day. I could get so excited and talk about the resurrection and what it means. We'll do that later. But first, Jesus is in the garden. Now we have descriptions of what happened in the garden in the book of Mark as Jesus is crushed. The prayer was not a few minutes, however. We have a portion of that prayer in John the 17th chapter. Let's look at it together. After Jesus said this, after he said, in the world you're going to have Many troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I give you my peace. He then begins to pray for himself and for the church, for his disciples. He begins to pray for you. Yes, that's what the scripture says. We'll get to it in a minute. He begins to pray for you. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son. Your Son may glorify you. What does he mean, glorify your Son? He means put me on the cross. And I will glorify you. Because he's going to pay the atonement. The atonement price is going to get on that cross as a lamb, as an atoning sacrifice. And it's going to bring glory to God because it's going to end the power of the demonic in the universe. But also for you and me. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have given, that you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought your glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So first he's asking, glorify your name, Father, by putting me on the cross. He is offering himself 
as a a sacrificial lamb. And then he's saying, now glorify yourself by giving to me the glory that I had before I came. Mm. We're dealing here with God, with the Godhead. We're, in his prayer, we're able to look into the Godhead. He says, I have revealed you. That is, I have revealed your name, who you are. I've revealed you. They understand who you are now. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, there are some of these precious ones who are willing to obey you. I've been saying, oh God, I'm willing to obey your word. And I'm asking to be included among those who are yours. Verse 7, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. And I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. The words now, at this last moment, Jesus' heart has turned toward those, toward you, toward me, toward those who say, Jesus, you're everything to me. I worship you, Jesus. I believe you are the Son of God. I turn my back on everything of my flesh, of the world, and of the devil, and I give myself unconditionally into your hands, Jesus. All that I have, all that I possess, I don't have anymore. I give it to you freely. And I wait upon you for your direction, for your life, for the ministry you've called me to. Verse 10, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. I want to be very bold. All that I have belongs to Jesus. And all that belongs to Jesus is mine. That's a terrifying statement. I'm going to show you where he says that. And the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. In other words, I'm separating myself from them. I'm coming back to you, Father. Holy Father, Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Protect them by the name of Jesus. There is no other name by which man can be saved, save the name of Jesus. He is the only way into heaven. Yes, all paths lead to the same place. They all lead to the judgment bar of God but it is only the name of Jesus by which we are saved. Verse 12, While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by that name you gave me, Jesus. Jesus. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Speaking of Judas. Now listen. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. In China today, 
the Chinese government will pay the equivalent of $1,500 to anyone who will report on a house church in their neighborhood and the pastor can be captured and the church destroyed. $1,500. That's a huge amount of money. It's it's an amazing amount of money in China. The world hates a Christian. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are even as I am not of it. Now, please, tell me that you can walk in your sin and be a part of the world and still walk in Jesus. You cannot. He's saying they are not of the world. In other words, they are not of rebellion. They are not of uncleanness. They are not of sin. Even as I am not of the world, Jesus was without sin. And so he says, Hagios, make them holy. Make them holy. Hagiazo, set apart these precious people for a very special purpose. Make them holy, O Father. This was the cry of Jesus for the church. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. By your word. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. What's he saying? He's already holy. But he's saying, I'm setting myself apart as a very special place. And he is today in the heavenly sanctuary, running the whole rescue operation on the earth. He asked to be sanctified, to be set apart for a special purpose of the salvation of your life and of my life and of the people on earth. Jesus is set apart in the heavens. And we're to be set apart on the earth. Holy, set apart for a special purpose. And as you sent me, Father, into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now listen to this. My prayer is not for them alone. In other words, my prayer is not just for my disciples. My prayer is not just for Mary and Martha and Lazarus and my mother. My prayer is not just for the 70 who who went out and ministered in my name. My prayer is not just for the multitudes who came and heard my preaching. Listen, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Can you wrap your mind around this incredible truth? This changes everything. This clarifies once and for all. Jesus is saying this to God the Father. He's saying this in the Garden of Gethsemane. These are the last words of Jesus before he goes on and is crucified. He's saying, I am setting myself apart for eternity, to be with my people, those who believe in me. But he's going even further. He is praying for you and for me. 
Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. Because you have believed the message that you have heard, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is sanctifying you if you will believe in him and not believe the great delusion that Satan has sent upon the world that the sinning Christian can be saved. The sinning Christian cannot be saved. The one who turns deliberately to the powers of darkness will not be saved. He's saying, I pray for those who will believe in me. That is, I pray for those believe, that is, who will be connected with me, who will become one with me, who will cut all ties to the world, the flesh, and the devil, who will not love the things of darkness, who will allow me to purify and cleanse and make holy. He's saying, I pray for those who will believe in me Through their message, I have believed in Jesus through the message written in the scriptures. I have believed in Jesus through the message of those he sent into the world. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me. He's saying, look, I want my people to be in me even as I am in you. May they be in us. So he's not saying, Father, let me have these people in me. He's saying, let me have them in me as you are in me and I am in you, but also let them be in you, Father. This is, this is beyond my understanding. That's why I want to put my hand over my mouth and not, and not speak. This is such glorious, incredible. All I can do is weep before him. All I can do is tremble in fear before him and say, Jesus, sanctify me through and through. As it says in Thessalonians, Lord, sanctify me through and through for your purpose, for the work of the gospel in the world. Some of you didn't understand what I tried to say yesterday. You thought it was about bearing fruit. It wasn't about bearing fruit. Yes, we will bear fruit. And if we don't bear fruit, we will be cut off and cast into the fire. The fruit of holiness, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of being a fisher of men. If we don't walk in this as we are called by the Spirit, That's not what I was really talking about yesterday. I'm sorry I couldn't say it clearly. I couldn't articulate clearly. It's so fresh and hot in my heart. I was trying to say to you yesterday, we must enter so humbly into the presence of God. And we must receive with such humility and the wine. We must we must recognize the wickedness of our hearts as we in our arrogance live out our lives as though we could choose whatever we wanted to do and wherever we wanted to go and we're in charge. my brother, my sister. I'm trying to say to you, we have to lay our lives down. We have to be crucified with Jesus. And that crucifixion has to cut all the way through the wickedness of the human heart. Nothing can remain of the old Adam character. We've got to be sanctified through and through. 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. A man is absolutely transformed and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing in all of the world that can transform a man or woman's heart and make them into a new creature. A drug addict finally has to hit bottom, crash and burn, and say, now what do I want to do with my life? And some say, I want to end it, and they commit suicide. It's not my life. It's not my choice. My life belongs to Almighty God. And it's only in Jesus that a man's heart can be broken of the wickedness of this world and come to terms with what it would mean to be in Jesus and let Jesus be in me, let alone let me be in the Father as the Father's in Jesus. This is beyond my understanding. I can't can't wrap my mind around it. I'm crying out to God over this. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I have to come to the the very bottom of this and say, Jesus loves you. But those words are not cheap. They're not sentimental. He wants to dwell in you. He wants to hollow out all of the wickedness, all of the pride, all of the arrogance. He wants to take out of you all of the devil. How much devil do you have in you? You say, I don't have any of the devil in me. As soon as you say that, In your pride, you've disguised the devil by your own strength and your own power. Many of you listening are still living as normal human beings in the American culture, spending your time and your money and your energy however you choose, pleasuring yourself with the sports and with every kind of wickedness. And you say, Come on, pastor, what's wrong? What's wrong with that? If you have to ask that question, you are far from Jesus. The closer I come to Jesus, the more crude and ugly the world looks to me. The closer I come to Jesus, the more crude and ugly the world looks to me. Rough, rough and ugly. Pray, O God, come and do this work of revival in your people. Come and do this work in my heart. The cry of Jesus from the cross is a cry of love. The cry of Jesus from the cross is a cry of love for you. He loves you. But if you're going to come to Jesus, you're going to have to be crucified with him. Many of you will show up in church this Sunday like an Easter lily. It'll be the one time you go, maybe twice a year, maybe you're a poinsettia. You go at Christmas time. That's not what it's about. It's not about listening to the radio and letting that be your church. It's not about watching the television or the videos and that being your church. 
The church is a body of people loved by Jesus who have come together to surrender their hearts and their lives. To say, I must be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. He must be in me and I must be in him. We're out of time for today on this broadcast. We'll be back tomorrow where I'm going to take this further. I do want to tell you how much I appreciate those of you who write to me. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And I I encourage you to go to our webpage. This broadcast will be up. You can go to YouTube. You can go to the video page for National Prayer Chapel or Pastor Ray Greenley. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find a huge archive. And today's broadcast will be up tonight. I also encourage you to go online and donate. You can Donate with PayPal online. Just click the donate button. Today was a very difficult message for me because I recognize how serious this is and I tremble before God. Lord Jesus, I pray for each person who has listened today I pray that they will make the decision to be totally given over to you. Not to be halfway, not to be fence walkers, but to come clearly into the kingdom of heaven and let you sanctify them wholly through and through. By a work of grace and a work of faith, would you cleanse and purify your people and prepare us and break us and equip us to do the work of ministry. Lord, we love you and we trust you. I put these precious ones in your hands and I thank you for them. I thank you for their encouragement to me and their love for me. Lord, I ask you to prompt them to pray for me and for this broadcast. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. If you'd like to come Sunday, you're welcome. We are a house church, and it is intense. 703-489-1785 is the number to call for directions. 703-489-1785. If I don't answer, leave a message. I'll call you back. God bless you, my brother my sister. I love you in Jesus. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with From falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy.